Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So you may have been wondering um, why I have put a sword here. Now, this sword, I always like to find things in the basement. um, And... (laughs) Here's another thing I found in the basement, together with that giant question mark. And I thought, ah, this is a great illustration, actually, because I'm going to be thinking of, um, before, we go into our, before we go into our prayer time, I want to just give a little bit of an invitation as to what thankfulness can do, about one of my biggest struggles at the moment, I would say, which is this C word, cynicism. And thankfulness is a weapon against cynicism. That's the thing that really came through to me. I probably shouldn't hold it by the blade, should I? Okay. Thankfulness is a weapon against cynicism. It's like the sword that can defeat cynicism. So four things I want to talk about. What is cynicism? Why am I even talking about this? What's that relevant to thankfulness? What is thankfulness? Because that is not an easy question. Thankfulness as a weapon and prayer as the gateway to thankfulness when we cannot find any other way there. Okay, so what is cynicism? Now, it's a thing probably very familiar to lots of us. Uh, it was a, it's a branch of Greek philosophy originally, but in modern usage, the Merriam-Webster dictionary says it's contemptuously distrustful of human nature and motives. Does that sound familiar to anyone here? Does that sound familiar to how we think of politicians, for instance? Contemptuously distrustful. They sound a lot like that, I think. Now, just to note here that Jesus has actually been compared to cynic philosophers by some because he actually, in some senses, embodies a good kind of cynicism, which is the cynicism against corrupt religious powers, corrupt forces, against, indeed, corrupt politicians. Jesus challenged them, and he was willing to be negative about their motives, to see past the sort of really good stuff they seem to be doing, and to see that their hearts were not right. So Jesus showed that not all cynicism is bad. However, this is something that I have really struggled with, because I find that when things are a struggle, say, uh, over the last year, I found cynicism has been almost like a poison. It's like a poison, because good gifts that come to you, and you'd otherwise receive with some sort of joy or some sort of gladness, it becomes like poisonous. You, don't, you can't taste the good in anything. In fact, good things suddenly seem like negatives. They suddenly seem like more than negative. They suddenly seem like things you don't even want to face. Stuff that one day, long ago, you were like, I would love to do this, and you end up thinking, I don't want to do any of this. It sort of changes everything. It poisons the good. Another thing it does is it's like a prison, and that's not being too extreme because... It's like a self-fulfilling. It's like a vicious cycle, a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Because when we feel cynical about things, it's extremely difficult to escape that cycle. Because you feel cynical about something, then all the circumstances around you seem negative, and you detach yourself from other people, and then you feel even worse about everything, and then it only seems to confirm that your cynical feelings about things were right in the first place, and then it becomes like this thing that we just can't escape. Again, I don't know if that's familiar with anyone. Maybe everyone here is an optimist. I'm not sure.、Um, but maybe that's familiar to some of you. Again, this is something that I really struggle with because I get into these circles in my head while I really want to appear positive and friendly to everyone and never want to have, like, never want people to feel bad. I hate offending people if anyone knows me at all. I hate anyone thinking bad of things I'm doing or things like that. But there's these cycles in my mind that go when someone says something to you and you just sort of take it in the worst possible way. It keeps going around and around and around and around in your mind and it keeps feeding this sense of, oh, everything is bad. This is such a difficult situation. I can't face the next day. I can't face more of this situation. And you just can't break out of it. And that's why I thought, in the context of thankfulness, it would be good to talk about cynicism, particularly, because it's something that I am really longing to break out of. And so this message is a bit like a message for me, really. I was like, I want this message to be for me, because I want to break out of this cycle of cynicism. So, what is thankfulness? Now, that's probably an even harder question, actually. Now, has anyone, this, this is something that I think is a bit of a Bit of a, a thing that's another thing that I struggle to get out of. When I was younger, did any of、uh, parents or carers or grandparents ever say, Oh, you need to say thank you for everything? And they would, they would like sort of stand by you and they'd be like, Say thank you, say thank you. Or they might say it in a bit harsher tone, Say thank you. Or we won't get you any more of that. Say thank you. Or you won't get the good presents next year. Or you need to write thank you cards to all of your relatives. And then you gradually, begrudgingly write them out. I'm not saying that my parents were harsh in any way like that, but there was a sense of thankfulness is a, is a duty. It's a, it's a thing that we must do because it's like paying taxes. It's like whenever you get a salary, whenever you get a good thing, you have to pay some taxes. You have to pay some thankfulness just to like keep the, I don't know, keep the tax man of the universe happy or something.、Um, it's, like, it's just like a duty. It's like almost I can imagine someone saying, Whenever someone says, Oh, we need to be thankful for stuff, I can always imagine someone saying, Oh, you need to be thankful, be thankful, otherwise you might not get it again. Sort of a very negative idea. But I don't think that that is the biblical idea of thankfulness. I don't think that is the sort of thankfulness that this passage, read so amazingly by Lincoln, was inviting us into. There is this great quote by G.K. Chesterton I found, actually. And it's quite surprising, actually, if you think about it. It's here. I would maintain, this is what he says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought. That sounds a bit extreme. The highest form of thought. And that gratitude is, get this, happiness doubled by wonder. Like, what? What? That doesn't sound like what I was thinking a minute ago. Again, another, another writer that I really like, Hannah Whittle Smith. The soul that gives thanks can find comfort in everything. So, yeah, what is that about? It seems like this duty, this、um, pressure idea, this idea that's just this pressure that we have to follow, isn't really getting to the heart. It's sort of missing the point completely. So, thankfulness inherently it rejoices in a gift. The Greek word is eucharistos, it's eucharis. The, you know, the charis, like the grace that we get, it's thinking well of it. It's rejoicing in the gift, it's seeing a gift. 
and not sort of seeing the gift and looking, oh, I don't like that gift, it's too small, or I don't really want a gift right now. It's seeing the gift and finding joy in it. It's finding joy in things around us, but then it's even more than that. It, it's almost, imagine getting a gift as a child. It's like not just looking at the gift, that new PlayStation or um, uh, what's the thing that children want? <laughs> uh, whatever the best thing is right now. Um, uh, if you get that gift and you like the gift, you really like the gift and you know your parents have chosen it especially for you, but it's then looking at that and then looking up from the gift and looking into the eyes of the givers, uh, whoever that is, and smiling and saying thank you and really meaning it and feeling great love towards the giver because of this gift that they gave you. It's seeing past the gifts and seeing through the gifts into the love that the giver meant to communicate to you by giving you the gift. That, is, that really just changed things, I think. So thankfulness, again, this is another way to think of it. This is like the passage, actually, that verse at the end, which I really like. Verse 8. Thankfulness is a meditation on the beautiful. It takes the beautiful things of life and it thinks about them. It focuses on them. It ponders them. It rolls them around. It savors them. It treats them like a wonderful meal that you want to savor and take as long over as you possibly can. It treats them, treats them like a wonderful cheese board, if you like cheese, that you want to savor and eat in loads of little pieces so you get the most out of all the different kinds of cheese. It treats it like that. So this is like verse 8. Verse 8 is, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. It's to take, basically, Paul seems to have just made a list of every positive adjective he could possibly think of in that space. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, you can't really think of many more words than that. Everything good like that. It's saying, think about these things. Meditate on the beautiful things. And that is what thankfulness is. It's meditating, focusing, not like cynicism does, which is on all the bad things that are constantly around us, on all the negative stuff that's bombarding us, but finding the good things and being like, I'm going to focus and meditate and put all of my mind's attention. Your mind only has a certain amount of attention. It's putting all of that conscious attention, all of that mind energy onto the good thing, the meditation on the beautiful. And so you can see why Chesterton said heartfelt thankfulness is one of the highest human joys. Again, that's not begrudging thankfulness. That's horrible to do, to force yourself to be thankful. Heartfelt thankfulness is, I would say, one of the highest human joys. And I know that I barely, I actually don't experience it much because I'm not actually thankful enough because I'm so cynical all the time. So it's very frustrating. But thankfully, thankfully, there is a weapon against cynicism. And it's expressed three times in this passage, which is the thankfulness, which is expressed, rejoice in the Lord. So I say three times because rejoice in the Lord. Again, I would say rejoice. But also before this, Paul has already said, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this sounds a bit silly now because you might think, why, how can we be joyful all the time? How can we have joy always? Um, is Paul, is some ridiculous idealist 
who only has good things happen to him. Now, if anyone knows where Philippians was written, uh, not written, where it was written, can anyone shout out where Philippians was written? Shout out, shout out, louder, louder. Prison, yes, prison. Paul wrote this from prison. It's one of his prison letters, one of his prison epistles. Paul wrote this in prison, and prison was absolutely, it was, must have been one of the worst things ever in those days because it wasn't, there was no human rights or anything. Paul is writing this, this thing. He must be saying it to himself as well. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, even in prison. And he's saying this from prison. It's like he's writing this to get himself through this dark situation. He's thinking, I want to meditate on these beautiful things that God is doing because my circumstances are absolutely terrible. And so thankfulness is like a gateway to joy. It's like the gateway passing through. Outside, there's all this darkness and everything else. And go through the doorway of thankfulness. And there is a realm of joy and wonder through there. Thankfulness, here's one I was thinking of, actually. I really like when people, and I know you're not actually meant to do this, but I really like when people pour petrol on bonfires before lighting them. Does anyone else like that? It's, but I just really like that. It's very exciting. And... Um, I think petrol, thankfulness is a bit like that petrol that you put on the bonfire. It's the petrol that lights the bonfire of joy. So <laughs> I, think, I think it makes sense, though. I think it makes sense. Because it really it doesn't look like anything. It's like, it looks like there's liquid, but then it bursts into flames, and flames of joy. And the fire of joy can melt away. You know when you feel things melt away within you? It can melt away even a lifetime's glacier's worth of cynical bitterness. It can melt away all of it, all that cynicism that has built up over years and years and years and years, and you never could ever get rid of that fire of joy that God can give us. can melt it all away. We can feel it melting away from our hearts. And I really want that to happen to me. Thankfulness is like a rod that's stuck into the cycles of cynicism, jamming it, stopping that vicious cycle continuing and going any further. Forced thankfulness, when we have to force it, like I was saying when we were younger perhaps, is bitter and it feels like we're being forced to be joyful when we just feel like crying inside. That's, that's terrible. When you're being forced to be thankful, it's actually a horrible, horrible reality. But our own free choice, our own joyful choice to find joy in the good gifts of God, to wield this sword of thankfulness, even if it initially feels like a machete through this jungle of negativity in front of me, that is the gateway into joy. But there is another obstacle here. How do we even get at this thankfulness thing. You know, I was saying that thankfulness is one of the highest human emotions and joyful thankfulness, seeing the goodness around us, it's a wonderful experience and it breaks out of these dark places. But how do we even get to that place? Maybe we don't even feel we can get to that gateway because we're all the way back on the road somewhere else. We, don't, we can't even see that gateway. I feel a lot like that. I don't even know how do I get into this thankfulness mood and it's so difficult to force your mind to do things. I've tried it so many times, and it just doesn't work. It just fights you. Well, another thing I love about this passage is it is talking about turning each of our anxieties or each of our struggles and not just having to hold them, you know, holding those anxieties and letting them whirl around in your head again and again and again and again, all night and all day. It says, take these anxieties and 
shoot them off to God, turn them into requests, pour them out before God. Another verse says, pour out your hearts before God. This is so freeing for me because I feel like, how would God really want to hear all of my complaining? Does God really want to hear all of these negative thoughts I have in my mind constantly? Sometimes I've worried that he doesn't. Sometimes my cynical mind has felt like he doesn't really want to hear that, does he? He's going to be sick of it. He's going to give up on me eventually. But what it says here is, in everything, pour out your request to God. In everything. You can't do it too much. You can't have too many anxieties or too many struggles or too many cynical or dark thoughts to, not pour, to pour them out to God. He's not going to become sick of it as long as you keep connecting with him. Keep asking for his help with it. He's not going to become sick of it. Maybe someone here feels like God has had enough of my prayers because they're too negative and they've been negative for years. And I think this passage is inviting us in everything to keep giving our anxieties and our struggles to God. He has not had too much. He wants to keep hearing them. And this is the other bit. To pray is to connect with Jesus. Prayer is the gateway into thankfulness. It is the road that goes to that gateway of thankfulness. It is the way there. To pray is to connect with Jesus. And Jesus himself has an unending supply of this thankful joy that we so long to know for ourselves. I just want to read a few passages now, actually, just quickly. John eleven forty one. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, before this wonderful miracle, just that he was weeping at this point, remember, Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus says that out loud so that they would all know that this is what he was thinking. So there's Jesus' thankfulness. Here's another example. Another example. Whenever Jesus, uh, the the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, the road to Emmaus, and uh, the Last Supper, whenever Jesus had bread, he always gave thanks. Here's an example, Luke 24, 30. One, when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And there's loads of these examples in Scripture. It says it again and then. Jesus gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. Here is a wonderful one. I want to highlight this one because of what it says about the Holy Spirit. After the return of the 72 in Luke 10, 21, and they come back to Jesus with all of the success stories, and it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you. Imagine Jesus saying this with a big smile. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I love this verse. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So this is what this is. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It's like saying the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is the spirit of thankfulness. It's Jesus' thankful spirit that we can receive for ourselves. When we don't feel any capacity within us, any strength within us to be thankful, I, and I want to admit, this is not, I actually rarely ever have the strength to be thankful. It just does not come naturally. The cynicism is easy to wallow in, but it's so difficult to get past it. Jesus had the thankful spirit. He says, come and drink of this spirit. Come and drink of this spirit of thankfulness. So in our prayer time, in a moment, I'd like to invite us to pray together, Lord Jesus, let me drink in your thankful spirit. Lord Jesus, let me drink in your thankful spirit. 
praying for Jesus to give us his spirit of thankfulness where we have no capacity for it for ourselves. And once you get just that spark of thankfulness, that first feeling of thankfulness coming, nurture that spark. Look at it. If you feel like thankfulness, even for a moment, nurture it, revel in it, delight in that thankfulness, and that spark will grow and grow and grow into a bonfire of thankfulness. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.